A dramatic turn in the 2020 campaign as the president looks to reshape the Supreme Court with a looming Senate showdown weeks before the November election. Today, we'll hear from Indiana Senators Todd Young and Mike Braun. Plus, we'll get reaction to Governor Holcomb's new guidelines for COVID-19, with pushback coming from the left and the right as the governor fights for re-election. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning. I'm Dan Spieler. So many headlines this week in the race for president just two days now from the first presidential debate. This as the Senate prepares for what's setting up to be a contentious confirmation process for the president's new Supreme Court nominee. Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Earlier this week, News Nation's Joe Donlan spoke with the president one-on-one -on -one at the White House. You said right away you wanted to appoint a woman. Why is that important to you, and what are you looking for in this Well, I want nomination? to uh, have women very fairly represented. I think it was time. The people are going to speak, and a lot's at stake in this appointment. And the way that they are violating the essence of what the founders thought, that the voters should have a chance to, make a, to have a say. The election has already begun. All right, of course, there has been a lot of debate and a lot of controversy already surrounding this process, especially given what took place four years ago when Senator McConnell refused to give President Obama's nominee a hearing because it was an election year. We heard from Indiana's two Republican senators this week and from some of our political experts and analysts who spoke with our Kayla Sullivan. It's difficult to say if the U.S. Senate will end up voting on a Supreme Court pick before the November 3rd election, but many Republicans, including Indiana Senator Mike Braun, say it's worth a try. I think the safest place for us, you know, controlling the presidency and the Senate, is to do it in an expeditious way. Uh, make sure you vet whoever the candidate is, the nominee, carefully and uh, try to avoid any of the histrionics. The expectation of the American people was that should a Supreme Court vacancy arise, that that vacancy would be filled. Uh, we will act because the American people want us to act. If Senate Republicans wait until after November, and should the president not win re-election, uh, which is a possibility, uh, there are some Republicans in purple states that may think, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to vote for this pick. Hoosiers are making an impact on the national stage, and that's no surprise to many of us here in the state. 48-year-old Barrett has a history of ruling in favor of Trump's immigration policies and supported expanding gun rights. Abortion rights groups have expressed concern about some of her abortion-related votes. Her strong Catholic ties and her stance on the Affordable Care Act are expected to be questioned during confirmation. What's also fascinating here is you have the Democratic vice presidential pick, Senator Kamala Harris, on the Judiciary Committee. So she's going to really take a star turn in questioning Amy Coney Barrett. So I think that'll be a, a fascinating thing to watch. If Leader McConnell presses forward, the Republican majority will have stolen two Supreme Court seats. Leader McConnell's done a stellar job at using the system as he inherited it and modified it to make sure you get appointments made. Don't be surprised that we will get a nominee this weekend and move on it quickly. The only variable would be, do we vote before or after the election? I personally hope it's before. 
All right, a lot of reaction in Washington. Indiana Congressman Jim Banks said nothing unites Republicans faster than getting justices on the court that will defend our Constitution. Former presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg said we're in danger of a majority of justices on the court being chosen by presidents who didn't even get the majority of the popular vote. He said, quote, any way you look at it, we're getting less democratic by the day. Meantime, at the State House, Governor Eric Holcomb extending the state's mask mandate this week while also advancing Indiana into the fifth and final stage of his back on track reopening plan. This as the governor faces some political pushback on his left and his right. Jessica Hayes has the latest. You still do have to wear your mask, but there are lots of changes under stage five. Restaurants, bars, gyms, those can all fully reopen with physical distancing. Restrictions are lifted on how many people can gather, but events with more than 500 people need a written plan submitted to your local health department. And nursing homes are required to offer visitation hours. State health leaders say the step forward comes because Indiana is moving in the right direction. I just want to um, take 10 seconds to say thank you because we don't do this without, you know, adjusting our daily lives and our routines and how we interact with one another. All those actions um, have an effect on our overall uh, performance as a state of Indiana. He went on to say masks helped lower Indiana's COVID-19 cases, so the mask mandate remains until at least October 17th. And you still need to socially distance, wash your hands, and stay home if you're sick. In the newsroom, I'm Jessica Hayes. We'll send it back to you. Jessica, thanks. This week, I also sat down virtually with Governor Holcomb's opponents in this race for governor. Democratic candidate and former state health commissioner Dr. Woody Myers says the move to stage five is a mistake. I know that there's a lot of pressure from businesses to move forward, not uh, not to stay the course or move backward, but uh, moving to stage five uh, is just wrong. Uh, we've had 281 deaths caused by COVID uh, in the last 30 days. Uh, our numbers are still hovering in the 750 to 1,000 uh, uh, new cases per day. Uh, and you know what, uh, it, just looking at the governor of Iowa's decision to do this a, a few months ago, uh, they are now reaping a terrible havoc as a result. Uh, uh, they, they have got their positivity rate that's going uh, uh, off their charts. It's just the wrong move from a, from a public health standpoint. It, we should hold our course, and especially since the experts are all telling us the same thing, that this fall uh, could be exceptionally problematic in terms of new cases. So it, this was just a mistake. The governor also facing criticism on this issue in the other direction from libertarian candidate Donald Rainwater, who I spoke with as well. I think that many people are dissatisfied and uh, concerned that uh, we've discovered that our executive branch has maybe too much unilateral power and that our legislative branch, the Indiana General Assembly, uh, does not have the ability uh, in our current political structure to implement the checks and balances necessary to ensure that the people's voice is heard. What would you do in terms of masks if elected governor? And if that would involve undoing a mask mandate, would you be concerned about the potential health ramifications? Well, first of all, um, I have said very plainly that uh, had I been governor when the uh, crisis uh, was brought to the public light, uh, I would not have uh, issued a stay-at-home order. Uh, 
I would not have issued uh, business closures. I would not close churches. I feel that's a violation of the uh, First Amendment, plain and simple. Uh, I believe that we have created a society where, uh, as uh, President Reagan put it, we are supposed to be able to self-rule. All right. We will hear more from the candidates in the race for governor next week, including a sit-down interview with Governor Holcomb himself next Sunday in Focus. Also at the State House, the governor says it'll be up to state lawmakers to properly wear a mask when they return for next year's legislative session. He says they won't be forced to necessarily. This week we spoke with lawmakers on both sides about how they'll be conducting that upcoming session in the midst of this pandemic. We got to take care of our health, and if somebody doesn't want to wear a mask because that's their philosophy, well, then I won't be communicating with them. Democracy is being challenged in this country at a level that is beyond my imagination. Okay, and one small but important part of democracy is how the Indiana General Assembly functions in a public way. We ought to be really serious about this, but so far we're not. We want the public to be part of this process. And, you know, we will work with the, uh, you know, we obviously have some control over the legislative bodies, but the State Department administration oversees the actual state house building. So they'll have to make decisions on occupancy numbers and those types of things. We'll work with them. But again, I, I would just reinforce, we like it when people are there. We like to hear the feedback. We enjoy the, the interaction. So it's our goal to make it as open and, and transparent as possible. Still a lot of questions, though, about who will be allowed inside. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, we're talking about the hotly contested race for Congress in the 5th District. You've seen all the commercials. Now the candidates go head-to-head -head in their first debate. And later reaction from Indiana on the situation this week in Louisville after the decision not to charge Louisville police officers in the death of Breonna Taylor. Stick around. We'll be right back. We're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. What country are we in? I'm being facetious. I said, what country are we in? Look, I, he says the most irrational things. The president's comments about accepting the results of the election topping the news this week, along with that Supreme Court showdown. Let's talk with our panel right now. Joining this this week, Jennifer Wagner, Mike Murphy, Robin Winston, Tony Samuel. Quite a fight here uh, over the Supreme Court showdown, certainly ahead of this presidential election amidst everything else in the news as well. Jennifer, obviously Democrats are upset about the situation. What can they really do about it at this point? Well, I think you've touched on two incredibly hot topics this week. Um, and it's important to note that the one, uh, the issue of whether or not President Trump would agree to a peaceful transition of power should he lose in November, uh, has bipartisan support that people go, oh my gosh, I can't believe we're having this conversation. There's never been any issue of a transition of power or, or this kind of methodical undermining of an election uh, in our history. And so that's shocking to me as a Democrat, but it's shocking to a lot of Republicans as well. As for the Supreme Court fight, I think, you know, there was polling that came out on Friday afternoon that clearly showed 57% of Americans want to wait, uh, allow the victor in November to pick the next nominee and have the Senate vote on it next year. Is that going to happen? Probably not. But I think it would give, it should give lawmakers pause as they look at those numbers and really reflect on whether they're doing what their constituents want them to do or what their political gut is telling them to do. Tony, how do you respond to that and that polling out this week in the Washington Post showing 57% think the next president and next Senate should choose Justice Ginsburg's replacement? 
Well, I think uh, as, as we see in a lot of issues, the media jumped on this and then that's what's driving those numbers. What is uh, the only thing to look at is the constitution and the constitution uh, allows the president to make the Supreme Court uh, uh, nomination, uh, which he has done and he's made a great one, and for the Senate to consent and advise. And it doesn't say stop uh, if there's a month or two before the election. The, the relevant election here was 2016 when President Trump got elected and, and that gives him the right and the authority based on the constitution to do this. And the Senate is doing the right thing uh, by voting for it. Do whether Republicans it's risk looking hypocritical though on that point given what happened in 2016 with uh, Merrick Garland? No, because the constitution also allows for this to be political. This is political. And when you have a, a, an elected president and an elected Senate, because the other relevant um, uh, election for the Senate was 2018 when they added a seat, 2016 and 2014 when they when they had the majority and won, won or kept the majorities. So those are the things. I know it's confusing for, for viewers, but those are the elections that matter for this uh, nomination. The, the timing is it is what it is, um, and, 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 and it's unfortunate for those on the left. What we're going to see now is more of their radical behavior like they did in the Kavanaugh hearing. And that's what's going to uh, muck this up, dirty this up. But the president and the Senate are on the right track. They have every right, and they it's their duty to do this. It's going to be contentious, no doubt. Uh, what will we see Tuesday, Robin? The first presidential debate two days from now, originally scheduled for South Bend. Now it will be held in Cleveland uh, amidst all of these headlines this week involving the Supreme Court, the president's comments uh, on the election results. W what do you think we'll see on that debate stage Tuesday night? Well, first off, I don't want to. Tony did a good job of filibustering about the Supreme Court. Uh, Jennifer is absolutely right. People are disappointed. You got to remember, if you're going to talk about the Constitution, its base is on precedent. And you have to remember, Tony, that when you guys were trying to make sure that we couldn't get anybody in the Supreme Court, we went 14 months without a person on the Supreme Court. We also put somebody forward that the Senate Majority Leader, who vowed to make sure Barack Obama was only a one term president, refused to even be considered in the Senate. Many of your senators campaigned saying that we should not let Barack Obama appoint somebody until there's a new president. By the time that this airs, we're about 30 some days, maybe 34, 35 days before the, or 36 days before the election. This ought to be decided by voters. And I think the precursor, how this election is going is 57% of the people are saying, let the new president make that decision. If that's indeed the case, I think people are telling you that they're looking forward to electing a new president. As it relates to debates, you're going to see a very, very statesmanlike Joe Biden on the same stage with somebody who's not going to be prepared to address all the foibles of his administration over almost four years. Mike, your thoughts on that and what we'll see at that debate Tuesday in Cleveland? Well, let's get to the Supreme Court first. First of all, I appreciate my colleagues' earnest comments. I know they believe them, but anybody who thinks there's not hypocrisy in politics in both parties is smoking something. If you look at uh, 1980, after Jimmy Carter lost the presidency, he nominated um, uh, Breyer to the first uh, Circuit Court of Appeals um, in De on December 9th of that same year. I think he was voted in by the Senate bipartisan 80 to 15 or something like that. And by the way, Joe Biden voted for Breyer. So both parties do it. So let's get over that, right? So on the uh, as far as the uh, debate goes, I suspect that what uh, 
uh, Trump actually does is makes the media the enemy. Um, he loves to do it. I wouldn't be surprised if in his opening statement he doesn't say, you know, the real enemy of the people, once again, is the, the national media. And uh, they're going to say, I lost this debate no matter what I do here tonight. And that sets up some you know, different expectations and really plays to his base. All right, let's talk about another debate that took place this past week now involving one of the key congressional races here in Indiana this year. Talking about that fifth district race between Republican State Senator Victoria Sparts and Democratic candidate, former State Rep Christina Hale. Both sat down with Jim Shella from Indiana Town Halls for a live one-hour debate touching on a number of issues, including the Affordable Care Act. So as legislator, I was the one who actually pushed for the real reform for with the people, transparency, no surprise billing. I went against special interest group and delivered these results, and that is the difference. And we also supported great public option in the state of Indiana at the state level. Christina actually voted against it, but I think state can do better. And I support state will do a better job because they will deliver better quality, not centralized federal special interests that control Congress right now. In Victoria's primary, she talked about her fight against the Affordable Care Act. I would fight to keep it and improve it. And if you have private health insurance, I'll fight to help you keep it and hopefully make it more affordable. But during this pandemic, the responsible thing to do is to ensure that the 329,000 people we have in our district who currently have uh, pre-existing conditions that they can maintain their coverage. If Victoria Sparts had her way, then that would be repealed. You get the sense that'll continue to be a big issue in this campaign, especially with the Supreme Court perhaps set to take up uh, a, a potential repeal of uh, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Mike, first, your thoughts on this uh, on this debate we saw in this this hotly contested race for Congress? Sure, it is going to be a very close race, and nobody can really say who's going to win. Both candidates are being a little bit disingenuous, though. This whole idea of uh, Christina Hale fighting to keep private insurance, um, that, that's not in danger. So that's a little bit of a, of a play. And also the whole thing about um, pre-existing conditions. The Republicans specifically preserved pre-existing conditions when they amended parts of Obamacare. So. Both candidates playing a little bit of game here, hoping to gain a, 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 uh, an advantage. The president uh, referencing uh, pre-existing conditions this week as well. Uh, Jennifer, your, your thoughts? Obviously, this is going to be a huge topic in, in CD5 over the next six weeks. Uh, I guess we're that close. Um, I don't think the debate itself is going to have a substantive uh, effect on the outcome of this race. You are seeing so much money come in on both sides of this from, from outside interests. Um, you've never seen, at least I have not seen in a public poll, uh, Victoria Sparks in the lead. And I think that's because ultimately this one seems to come down to trust. And I think Christina Hale, obviously our former panelist here, uh, fellow panelist here, is is coming across as the more trustworthy, as the more like-minded uh, candidate. And I'm not sure voters are going to care at the end of the day that she has a D after her name or Victoria Sparks has an R. I think they're going to go with their gut. Robin, Tony, we're running out of time. Quickly, who do you think wins this race? Tony. I think uh, Victoria Sparks wins in the end. Uh, that Trump is going to win big in Indiana, and that's okay. that's what's going to be a major factor. Robin, I think that Christina Hill wins because you're seeing ads being run for state rep candidates that are Republicans that represent most of that district on television. We've never seen that before. Somebody's concerned, and they're concerned about losing that seat. Okay, I suspect you're about to see some political ads here as we go to break. Coming up next, thanks, guys. We'll have a reaction to the situation in Louisville after the decision not to charge police in the death of Breonna Taylor. Stick around.
More protests this week in Louisville over the grand jury's decision in the Breonna Taylor case. Some fires were set, two officers were shot, both survived. The protests came after a grand jury decided not to charge three Louisville police officers directly in Breonna Taylor's death. After she was shot to death by police who'd been serving a warrant there at her apartment, one officer was charged for wanton endangerment for firing into the neighboring apartment units. Some reaction from Indiana Congressman Andre Carson to the Taylor case this week. He said, we won't give up or give in until Breonna Taylor and her loved ones receive the justice they deserve. Stick around. We're back to wrap things up right after this. The Colts take on the Jets today on CBS4. You can watch our Colts Blue Zone pregame show after Face the Nation. Kickoff today at 4 o'clock. Fox 59 has a doubleheader with the Bears and Falcons, followed by the Cowboys and the Seahawks. All right, the panel is back now for this week's winners and losers. Mike, I'll start with you. Just published a uh, controversial op-ed piece this past weekend about the uh, Trump race, um, not because of his opinion, but because he had the courage to state his opinion. Uh, Winston Churchill said once, you have enemies. That's good. That means you believe in something. I'm sure John Mutz will be roundly criticized. Robin? All the winners, I think, are the people in the Lincoln Project who have stood up to all kind of uh, controversy, but have stood their ground and said that Donald Trump has to go. The loser, Kentucky Attorney General Daniel Cameron. I believe that Breonna Taylor's case will be open again. Metro government paid a $12 million wrongful death suit to the family. They don't do that if something's not wrong. Tony. Losers are the rioters, the anarchists, the mob that's uh, starting to rule and not starting. They've been doing this all summer and uh, it's got to stop. Winners are those that are standing up for law enforcement. Jennifer, you get the last word. Yeah, Mike actually stole one of my winners, uh, John Mutz, and he was actually joined by former Marion County Prosecutor Scott Newman, also a Republican, in writing op-eds. Um, I think it takes a tremendous amount of courage to stand up and delineate and say, I am still a strong Republican, but Donald Trump has to go. And loser would have to be all of us in this country uh, as we watch Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Lion State. Um, we've lost a tremendous jurist, and we'll see what happens next. We'll leave it there. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.